That music is an invitation, an invitation to sit up and join me as we look into God's Word. This isn't your parents' Bible study or some pre-printed material from your denomination. Each episode, we tear into God's letter to humanity to see what would God have us know about Himself, about the world around us, and about ourselves. I am Brother Mitchell from the Discipleship Center, and you are listening to the TDC Podcast. As we start our study on 2 Timothy, Paul is telling us, don't be tempted to be ashamed, but fan into flame your gift. Let's start by reading the text, and then I'll give you a little background and show you where we are on the timeline as well. Starting in verse 1, it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers day and night. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I might be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I'm sure, dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, And I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me, in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesephorus, for he often refreshed me, and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. The year is A.D. 67, and Paul is in a dark and damp Roman prison cell, just months before his execution. The emperor Nero has been on the throne since A.D. 54, and has been slipping into madness with the great fire of Rome in A.D. 64 still recent in everyone's mind. Persecution of the Christians was rampant, and Paul was just one of many who were caught up in this persecution. Timothy has been ministering to the church in Ephesus for almost four years by this time, and it's been about eight years since Timothy had received the letter we know as 1 Timothy. 
Now, there's a physical separation between Paul and Timothy that's causing a deep sense of loss and longing. The fellowship between true believers is a strong and supernatural bond that makes meeting together a joyous occasion and the separation quite difficult. When I came to my home church that I attend now back in 2008, I found a church on the brink of turmoil with our long-term pastor leaving, a crazy miscommunication that left many disillusioned and bitter, and we lost a large handful of churchgoers. But we gained a new senior pastor and some new families at that time as well. And for whatever reason, God seems to be satisfied by placing me in the middle of messy situations. After a terrible season in my life, you as a church became a home to me. In 2016, however, many of you will remember there was a stretch of a couple months that I wasn't able to be in church. And I want you to know that it wasn't because I didn't want to be here, but because my ex-wife convinced the courts to grant an order of protection that I couldn't come within so many feet of the academy, the, the school that my kids went to, which just happens to be the same address as the church, of course. And what a low blow that the children of Satan will stoop to try to harm the children of God. I remember getting a call from my pastor, Pastor Asher. I was falsely accused in court. I couldn't see my kids, and I felt so defeated at that moment. And I, I remember it like yesterday. I was sitting on my friend Phil Marshall's porch, and I remember that phone call from Pastor Asher. And, and, and I remember the words of kindness and support that Dwight told me. And I remember that we were both weeping over the situation, not because of the court case, but because there was a physical separation between us that couldn't be overcome for a while. Now, as you well know, I'm back. Satan didn't win, and God used me during that time at various other churches and to support the homeless ministry that I work at as well. God always wins, people. Even in our defeats, God always wins. Now, Paul knows the end is drawing near. And I'm sure he's somewhat worried about his young friend Timothy and wants to encourage him because it definitely feels like the whole world is against the church at this moment. Paul wants Timothy to remember that all of this started because of his sincere faith and that it was birthed out of his grandmother and mother and their teaching of Timothy. And no doubt that first missionary journey where Paul came through their town. Paul is remembering how those early church leaders in Lystra and Derby commended Timothy to Paul. God had given Timothy a gift in such a measure that many could see it, the gift of shepherding. Now, God gives each of us gifts, and they aren't always as clear-cut as checking off one in a, in a listing of gifts. I've known three different pastors very well in my lifetime, and all three I've been blessed by, but each of them could be characterized differently. My first pastor, when I was growing up as a small boy, he was a great teacher and a great communicator. He communicated well with all different age groups, but he was characterized by his organization. He was a micromanager. Now, my current pastor is a great teacher and communicates well with different age groups but he would not be characterized by his organizational skills at all, but rather by the counsel he gives. He gives good counsel and is a mediator in tough situations. My other current pastor, our assistant pastor, he is a good teacher, but he's characterized by his vision. He has a vision for the future and he organizes and steers things in those directions. 
Timothy had a gift where he was able to be sent into troubled churches and help them wade through all their problems and get back on track. Timothy was a shepherd among wolves. Even the most gifted pastors can get worn out by the daily grind of serving people, and Paul is encouraging Timothy to remember his ordination, the gift that God gave him, and to fan it, encourage it, stimulate it so that it increased. Now, it's easy, as Paul well knew from experience, that when you start thinking about all the problems around you, the persecutions, the disappointments, it's easy to lose sight of why we do what we do. It's easy to give in to despair. If we look at ourselves as our source of power and lose sight of God's direction and sovereignty over all things, it's easy to give in to a sense of fear. Those deceptive voices that say, you're not worthy, you can't do it, you're a failure, etc. These voices are tempting you with Satan's age-old trick to try to get you to doubt God's promise made to you. Instead, if we're sealed by the Holy Spirit, we can confidently rely on the statement in Romans 8.31 that if God is for us, who could be against us? We can cling on to the power of God, the love that God supplies, and the self-control he has called us to. We can rely on the promise of Ephesians 2.10 that we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, it's not up to us to secure the victory for ourselves or for the kingdom. We work our hardest to be the best ambassadors for the kingdom that we can be. But it is God who shapes and molds us. And no matter what happens, the onus is on God alone to make sure that, as he says in Romans 8.28, that all things work together for our good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Paul's giving Timothy here an invitation to suffer. When we think of an invitation, we often think of pleasant thoughts, like being invited to a wedding, or a graduation, or some type of party. Paul is inviting Timothy not to be ashamed about the testimony of our Lord, undoubtedly referring to the disgraceful manner in which he was treated and crucified, and not to be ashamed of Paul either as he sits in his cell waiting a probable execution. But Paul invites Timothy to share in the suffering for the sake of the gospel. Why would Paul invite his beloved friend to suffer for the sake of the gospel? It wasn't because he wanted Timothy to come to harm, but because God is worthy. We're saved for God's good purposes, not our own comfort or as fire insurance just in case hell is real, which it is. Remember that the gospel is about God's salvation of sinners by his sovereign grace. God saves us because we can't save ourselves. God saves us apart from our works. God saves us in accordance with his purpose and grace. Also remember that God's salvation calls us to holiness. You can see that in Romans 8, 28-30, Ephesians 1, 4, Philippians 2, 12-13, and Hebrews 12, 4. How could Paul say, from where he's sitting in prison, that he wasn't ashamed? Or for a clearer meaning of the word ashamed, how could he be sure that he hadn't placed his trust into something that had already or was going to let him down? I mean, don't you think that if God was all-powerful and loved Paul as much as Paul loved him, don't you think that God would have rewarded him or at least made his life easier? See, this is the kind of thinking that tells people that they can have their best life now, that God wants to give you health, wealth, and prosperity in the form of something tangible that you can enjoy today. 
Now I'm on the fence with these statements because God has blessed me with material goods, relatively good health, and I've been prosperous to a certain degree in many ways. But I hold all of these loosely because if God wanted to dangle me over the fire of testing, I would not relent in my love and service for him. How can I say that? Because I'm not the center of my world. God is. I was lost and on my way to hell when God pointed to me and said, No, not that one. He's going to come with me. And when I was content to remain in my sin and my pride said that I'm not that bad, God was pleased to pierce my heart and convict me of sin and draw me to himself. And for that, I'll be eternally grateful. Paul was not ashamed of the gospel because he was convinced that Jesus Christ is who he said he was. Jesus had the power over sin and death. Jesus promised to prepare us a place in his kingdom and is powerful enough to keep us until that time. And that the good news of the gospel is that God has a plan for peace with us and he's powerful enough to affect it and guard it. I get advertisements in my email all the time on how to grow your church. Grow your church from 50 to 500 in 30 days. Or, or how to motivate your church, etc. And all these schemes and plans on how to do things that are truly out of the realm of our control. Paul is telling Timothy that we have the plan. We have the message. And we don't need to reinvent the wheel. In fact, Paul is telling Timothy not to reinvent the wheel. Take what we know to be true. Preach it. Share it spread it around, and give it to other trustworthy men to do the same with it. Now, when I say guard the deposit, I'm not sure what comes to your mind, but I think back to when I was a child and I had a savings account at the Eastern Illinois Trust and Savings, which ended up becoming Municipal Bank. And each Saturday, we would go to the bank. And when we went inside, sometimes we would see the guard standing in front of the vault, or we would see the armored car guards transferring bags of money. A guard does not own the deposit that's entrusted to them, but they've been given a responsibility to take care of it. Paul is telling Timothy to guard the good news of the gospel. Continue to teach it correctly. Guard it from others who would add to it or take away from it or replace it. It may seem like Paul is overstressing this point, but just look at history and look around us today. We have people who still deny the Trinity. We have people who still deny the deity of Christ. We have people who still deny the virgin birth. We have people who still deny the resurrection. We have people who still deny the historical or scientific accuracy of the Bible. We have people who still deny the inspiration of scripture. We have people who still deny original sin. We have people who still deny hell. Some people have said that none of this matters as long as people get saved. The problem with that is once you start chipping away from the content of the Bible and its authority, what are you left with? What are we saved from at that point? Why do we need to be saved at that point? And most importantly, what exactly is salvation at that point? You're left with a God who may or may not care what's going on, who sent somebody who may or may not have been his son, who may or may not be God, who may or may not have been sinless, who may or may not have the power over death, who may or may not have been resurrected, who may or may not be preparing a place for us in his kingdom, who may or may not be coming back again someday. That is why Paul is admonishing Timothy, and in effect every believer, to guard this good deposit that's entrusted to us. 
Now, let's talk about the fearful versus the fearless for a little bit. Paul mentions that all who were in Asia have abandoned him. This was not to say that everyone in the whole continent of Asia abandoned Paul, but rather a province of Rome in Turkey had a church or a group of churches led by Phygelus and Hermogenes who were leaders in that church who undoubtedly knew Paul. And when persecution came, they abandoned Paul and compromised to avoid persecution themselves. And Paul compares these cowards to a man named Onesephorus. Onesephorus was from Ephesus or near Ephesus, and he was a diakonon eson, a servant or minister there, which not surprisingly is from the root word diakonos or deacon. Paul says that not only did Onesephorus not abandon him, but that he came to Rome and searched earnestly for Paul, and when he found Paul, he often refreshed him. I have the sense that he traveled to Rome to help Paul while he was in prison those last two years. He he traveled there continually. In closing, as I studied through 1 Timothy, I felt an encouraging drive of a new church being built. And now as we begin 2 Timothy, I feel a sort of heaviness and a sadness and a weight of persecution that Paul was under. You can almost hear the frantic pace at which Paul is giving some last minute instructions with. Paul knows that it's only a matter of weeks or months at this point before he will probably be executed and he wants to remind Timothy of how much he loves him and that he wants Timothy to remember back to the beginning to where everyone recognized his faith and the gift given to him by God and not to give in to the spirit of fear but fan into flames the gift that God has given him. But over all of this, to always guard that precious deposit of truth, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Discipleship Center and its subsidiaries, TDC Aquaponics and TDC Farm, are a registered 501c3 charity serving in the not-so-beautiful city of Kekakee and its surroundings. Have you or a loved one been struggling with substance abuse, chronic unemployment, need some work experience after a recent incarceration, or just failed to move on to a more productive phase of life? There is hope just around the corner with the Discipleship Center where every life matters and we strive to fulfill the Great Commission one life at a time. Check us out on the web at www.discipleshipctr.org today.